restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. And they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with the shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Lord God, we thank you that you have spoken to us, that you have not left us in silence, that you have not left us without, without hope, but you have spoken and reached and called each of us to hear you, to know you, to love you. Father God, I pray from this word which we are looking at today that you will help us to draw nearer to you, that you will help us to be in awe of your goodness, of your mercy, of your provision that you help us, Lord, to see that the, the beauty in all the things that you have given us, Lord. Even those who hurt, Lord, especially those who hurt, I pray, Father, that you would help them to look upon your word today and to find hope and peace and joy in your gracious gifts given to us in the gospel. Pray this in the name of Jesus and the power of the Spirit. Amen. Amen. Y'all may be seated. After the death of King David, Israel was ruled by his son, King Solomon, often called King Solomon the Wise. Most people are familiar with King Solomon, whether it be from Bible stories or, or something. You have some anecdotal knowledge of him. Uh, one in many of the things that he's known for, his great decisions, his great wisdom, carry on to this day as symbols of just how great a godly leader looks like, a wise and just ruler can be. We saw during his reign that Israel grew, not just in worship, but in prosperity. They grew the treasury to mountains of what it had been before. The borders of Israel grew so much that through his political maneuvering, through his savvy, that great nations like the Queen of Sheba and the King of Tyre paid homage to what was at one time little bitty inconsequential Israel. Yet, as Solomon said wisely in the book of Ecclesiastes, every king hands off his riches to, to either a wise man or to a fool. And Solomon's son Rehoboam was a fool. <laughs> Uh, recorded in the book of 1 Kings, we are told a story about Solomon's son, uh, often called Rehoboam's Folly. Uh, in, in this story, the, the foolish, bordering on outright idiotic young man, rejected the counsel of those who had come before him, rejected the, the political advice given to him. He refused to be charitable and kind. He denied the wisdom of God given to him. And in so doing, not only brought an end to the wealth and the power and the dynastic rule of his family, but managed to literally break the kingdom of Israel into. <laughs> Beginning the, the, the time of the divided kingdom, the, the, the period recorded throughout much of the latter portion of the Old Testament. Uh, in, during that time, we, we saw both nations one and then the other fall into slavery to powerful, cruel, 
oppressive nations, uh, the, the worst of which being the, the kingdom of Babylon. And, and during this time, they were robbed of their wealth, they were robbed of their dignity, and they were left as exiles in their own home. The, this period is called the exile. And this matters because this is the time most scholars would say that Psalm 126 was written. Psalm 126 is a song of both joy and lament. It is a song of ascent sung by exiles as they make their pilgrimage to Jerusalem. It's a song of a broken people from a broken nation longing for the Lord to make them whole again. It is a plea for restoration. It is a song of hope stung lament. And here's one of those times where I think it's really important to define a word because I think when we hear lament, we just think sad. It's just sad. And when we talk about psalms of lament, when we talk about lamenting in scripture, it's actually more than just a base sadness. It's more than just the emotion. It's actually sadness directed towards God. This matters because, because there is grief, which is sadness directed toward, towards ourselves, towards anxiety. But then there is lament, which is grieving towards God. It is looking towards God with, the, with our hurt, with our brokenness, with those things which, which make us feel uncomfortable. And, and for that reason, this is a very meaningful song for a people both in ancient Israel and today who live in worlds that feel pretty discombobulated, pretty broken, pretty, pretty foolish. You see, like we live in a world today where the song of our age is, truth is what I make it. It's all relative, right? Where yes can be no and males can be females and hostile threats to our communities need to just wholesale be accepted. And our children can be taught whatever school systems perceive. And, and it might feel like that's a million miles away from Dalhart, but it's in your pocket right now. It might ring if you didn't mute it. Like it, it, it is much nearer to us than we realize. And the reality of the situation is that we're living in exile. That, that we are a people who live in a kingdom that we are not yet in. This is not our home. It, 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 there, there was that famous verse in the New Testament that we are in the world but not of it. You are in the kingdom of God, but the kingdom of God has not fully come yet. So for that reason, this song is for you. This is the song that a world like ours needs to hear you and I and our neighbors, we need to learn to sing songs both of restoration and of lament. We need to learn for evangelism, for discipleship. We need it for our suffering, for our parenting, for our hope, for our longing. If we are going to genuinely live as God's chosen people in the exile of this, of this Babylon that we currently live in, then we need to learn to sing each stanza of this song. And so we're going to look at it in three parts today. First, the restoration of the Lord's gifts, then the witness of restoration, and then the rest of the broken. So beginning in point one, the restoration of the Lord's gifts. I'll start with verse one here. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, 
we were like those who dream. For some reason, this is a very sticky verse. This verse has stuck with me particularly ever since I first started prepping this sermon back at the beginning of July. Uh, and, and as much as I have thought about it and dwelled about it, I, I have realized I can't talk about all of it here. There is, there is a great, great deal of depth within this verse, and I encourage you to meditate on it. But I wanna highlight a couple of the key ideas that this, this verse is building upon, a couple of the key themes of scripture that are heavy in this text. First, is that the people of God have fortunes, we have gifts of God, because God gave them to us. I, I know that, that that's not a statement particularly prone to prompt an amen. It's a lot more likely to produce a no duh. <laughs> but if the prophetic literature and the repeated confrontation that Israel had to face is any indication, this is something that we consistently outwardly consent to, but in our hearts constantly struggle with. <laughs> Israel demonstrated that we constantly as the people of God, forget where our fortune comes from. We, or worse, we think we earn it. Israel, if you've read something like the book of Numbers, it is an exercise in futility to root for Israel because they grumble and grumble and grumble and grumble and grumble against the Lord again and again and again. And yet, even as the judges come, even as the kings come, even as the prophets come, things don't change. They keep forgetting how good God has been to them. I think that the, the, the embodiment of this grumbling, the embodiment of this forgetfulness fits best in the verse Jeremiah 2.13. This is one of my favorite verses in scripture that for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. We want the gifts, but not the giver. And we wanna earn those gifts rather than simply receive them. We saw this again and again and again when we looked at Galatians earlier in the summer, and we'll see it constantly if we look in the mirror and we're honest with ourselves. It's possibly the most cliche phrase imaginable at this point, but we want to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. We don't want our righteousness given to us. We don't want our faith given to us. We don't want our nature being applied to us. We don't want to admit that the Lord is the one who has done the work. We don't want to admit that what we have received, we have received because of the gracious providential gift of the Father pouring out his love on his children. We want to be the ones who earn it all. So it's right for us to consider God's warning to the church in Laodicea, I think it's relevant here, for you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, naked. It is so important for us to remember that every fortune we have ever had, every gift we have ever had, is from the Lord. <laughs> to say as David did in Psalm 16, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. Doing so will prevent us from the pride of Israel and Laodicea, even, even just for a moment, and lead us to the good news part of 
this line from Psalm 126. And this is the second thing I want to note here. That the good gifts of God, the fortunes of righteousness, kindness, love, patience, mercy, a family, of community, the good things that he gives us, are, gives to all of his children, are the foundation of our imagination and our joy. This text tells us we were like those who dream, those who imagine a good world, imagine a good life. Then we are told, then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. First, the Lord moves. First, the Lord gives. First, the Lord blesses us. Then we are capable of imagining, of dreaming, of laughter, of joy. The Lord fills us with his goodness for us so that we can then imagine what goodness is. He fills us full of his joy so that we can then know and dream of what more joy might look like for our families, for our communities. And the logic does go both ways here. If we're looking out at the world and we're saying, how did things get so broken? So crazy. Where on earth are, is the laughter? Where on earth are, are, are the good dreams? Where are the people like, like the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King who famously dreamed of a world in which there was no divisiveness of racism, of hatred, of socioeconomic brokenness? Where are the dreamers? Well, we know where the dreamers are. We know why people aren't dreaming from this text because we know that the thing that inspired the Dr. Martin Luther King, the thing that inspired the psalmist, the thing that inspired creators and peacemakers throughout all the years was the Lord's goodness upon him. Then we were like those who dream. Then our mouths were filled with laughter. When the Lord moves, then we laugh, then we find the joy. If we wanna see ourselves and our children and our communities and our world dream of the goodness of the future again, dream of a good world again, then we need to look to the gifts that the Father has given us. We need to see the riches of his kindness lavished on us by his love. And you see what Paul reminds us of in Ephesians 1 when he says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. What a gift we have in Jesus. What riches and treasures we have in his grace and his spirit. Do we turn to them daily? Do we remind ourselves of them? Do we remind each other of them? Do we sing over one another when the Lord restored our fortunes? We, we are invited to sing this song as we go to remind one another so that we can then dream together again. <laughs> this leads to our second point today, the witness of restoration. Picking up again in verse two, then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. This is one of the most exciting and surprising things to consistently see in Old Testament, especially in songs like this, 
You see, it's so easy for us to forget our outsider status that we possess in the story of redemption history. You see, none of us are descendants of the patriarchs. None of us are truly Jewish. We're Ruth, we're Cornelius, we're the woman at the well, we're Jethro and Rahab. We are outsiders who have been grafted into the vine, the true vine of Christ. In other words, we are the nations here. What a glorious gift it is that we get to be a part of the story of redemption. That by faith we get to claim the blessing of God that was offered to Abraham when he was, he was blessed to be a blessing. It says in Genesis 12, and I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Abraham was blessed with both a nation and a lineage of his own and with the call to be a blessing himself to the nations, to his neighbors. And lest we think that this was just, just a thing for Abraham and for nobody else, the same blessing was reinstituted by, by the words that are outside, by the words of the Great Commission when Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. <laughs> we are blessed to be a blessing. We are blessed with, with the spirit, we are blessed with the word of God to be a blessing. You and I and Abraham and the disciples and Israel all have this in common, that we are blessed to be a blessing. And the greatest blessing that we have to share with the world is not simply just the, the, the gifts that the Lord has given us that we delight in, the, the, our families, our communities. We, we have something greater, we have the gospel of Jesus Christ, the greatest gift of all. We have union with God himself. We have something nobody else has. We have a, a, a profound gift, a profound joy, a profound life to offer to our neighbors. So the question then is begged of us, does your life reflect that blessing? Does it reflect to the nations, the nations of Dalhart, of, of Hartley, those pagans over there in New Mexico? I can say that, I'm one of them. Um, do they look at your life and see the blessing of Jesus? Does your life prompt laughter, joy? Does it prompt hope in the face of suffering and despair? Does it prompt lament and amazement? Does your life genuinely reflect dreams of a good future? Or are you filled with the same despair and anxiety that the world is right now? Do you live in a way that makes people look to Jesus Christ for hope or in a way that look, makes people look to some political schmuck as a hope? Because they're not our hope. Our king is our hope. We, we don't need social media influencers. We don't need billionaires to make things right. We have, we have the son of God himself returning one day. That is the hope that we have to share. That is our fortune. That is our gift. How can we reflect that, share that, be the, the blessing, the fortunes that Dalhart needs? Hartley, Des Moines. How, how can we be that sort of gospel blessing here. 
we, we can't, I, I don't think any of you have the influence to change Washington. If you do, what are you doing? Go, do it. <laughs> but you certainly have the influence to affect your youth sports teams, to affect your school boards, your book clubs, coworkers, your dinner table. Those are your nations. Can we tell our kids about the great things that the Lord has done? Here's, here's a very tangible to do to practice this. When you go to get your delicious enchiladas after church today, you can make this a Sunday routine. When you go, sit down and share one thing that the Lord has done that filled you with hope this week. We call it in my family sharing evidences of grace. Our church staff does it before all of our meetings. It, 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 one way that the Lord has made the world new for you this week. When we share these things, when we celebrate these things, we replicate these things. When we focus on them, when we delight in the Lord and what he has done, what we are doing is depending upon him, is trusting in him, is looking to him and saying, what you have done, I can expect more of. Because that's who you are. You are the gracious giver. And I am the humble receiver of those gifts. <laughs> this leads to our third and final point today, the restoration of the broken uh, thankfully, this song addresses what is probably the biggest rebuttal that we could bring, a rebuttal that might have welled up in some of you. What about those of us who don't have joy? Does it mean the Lord hasn't blessed me? What about those who have no laughter? What about those of us whose faith is as dry as a desert? Brothers and sisters, you are not alone. This text actually sees you. There is a prayer in here for you too. When it says of here, restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. The Negev is a dry, dry region in the southern portion of Israel. Like imagine like heat waves and like that, that instrument that you hear in the back of like 60s movies playing like comically dry. The, the thing the Negev is not known for is its streams. <laughs> that, that there are no streams in the Negev. This statement would have been the equivalent to us saying, restore our fortunes, O Lord, like the Cowboys in the Super Bowl. It, it, it's just not gonna happen. <laughs> it's an absurd statement. It, it, so why, why would the Psalm be praying this prayer? <laughs> well, well, this is the sort of prayer you pray when you have lived a dry, barren life and, and your parched lips have no place to turn. This is the prayer that's prayed by somebody who, who wants to pray, who wants living water but can only sigh. Who turns to the Lord, who opens his word like they are supposed to and yet just cannot get past. It's like dry desert sand to us. And I know every one of us have felt this. Every one of us have been through a dry, dry season. It's, many of us have felt the, the valley of the shadow of death, the sting of depression, the hopelessness of chronic pain, the, the lies of the enemy stinging us, hurting us, making us feel lost, alone, unheard, unvalued, unloved. Maybe you have even felt that life is not worth living. This prayer is for you. 
restore our fortunes like streams in the Negev. We pray this to a God who hears us, a shepherd who is with us in the valley, who set a table for us in the presence of the lies, in the presence of our enemies. When we turn to our shepherd, when we are at our lowest, when we are broken and say, help us, O Lord, or, or as the psalmist often does, how long, O Lord? How long until you answer me? Do you even hear me, God? I feel abandoned. I am angry at God. The, the psalmist brings these feelings many times over. When we bring these honest, real, psalm-like feelings to the Lord, he hears us. He knows our pain. We know that because the psalm concludes by telling us those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with the shout of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. Now I know this imagery probably connects pretty well to Dahar here. Y'all know what sowing and reaping means here. But to to many of us, this might sound like an absurdly un-American, un-Texan, unmanly sort of statement. If you come to the Lord weeping, crying, raging, tears in your eyes, saying how weak I feel right now, how I failed at the same things again and again. If you come to the Lord with tears in your eyes, recognizing your own brokenness, your own sinfulness, you're heard. In other words, if we're actually honest with ourselves and with God about who we are, if we actually pray like Christians who believe the gospel and put aside the self-righteous pretenses of the Pharisees, we will see a harvest of joy, which we will receive nowhere else. Quite frankly, this is possibly the greatest weakness I see in evangelicalism today. I'm not alone in this observation. We are so dang proud that we have forgotten who we are and what problem the gospel was setting right. We are so obsessed with the peace, the freedom, the good gifts that God has given us in this century that we have completely forgotten the gift giver and the great, vast deliverance which he has provided for us. We need to sow in tears again. You want to make your nation great? You want to laugh? You want to find joy, find peace? You want to dream up a future for your kids? Then heed the wisdom of this psalm. Learn to sing of the Lord's victory and learn to weep for yourself in the world again. Stop deluding yourself into believing that this world is as good as it gets. And remember that Not only was our savior a man who was acquainted with grief, a man of sorrows, but we still live east of Eden. We are not trying to make this place Eden again. We are waiting until the day when Jesus comes back, brings heaven down and makes a new world even better than the first one. A world where there will in fact be streams in the Negev. We, we know this from Ezekiel. We need to learn to laugh and to learn to weep again. This is what biblical joy and lament look like. 
not unending bliss, not a life with no pain, not a world that is perfectly at peace, a world that knows that when we sow our tears in, in our prayers to our Father, when we trust in him, then he will make us witnesses of his goodness, of his glory, of his hope to this world, to ourselves again. For a world that is in chaos, to know the power of restoration, of redemption, of joy, we need to pray to the Lord of the harvest to bring up laborers, and we need to weep that there are many who do not yet know, many who are not yet ripe, not yet ready for the harvest. Jesus tells us that in these days which we live, who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them food at their proper time? Blessed is the servant whom his master will find doing so when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. Do we want to know what this world needs? It needs a people who know that the fortunes of the Lord only come from the Lord and when we depend upon him, when we lift up our prayers to them, he blesses us. Sometimes blesses us with hope in the dry, dry seasons. Sometimes blesses us with laughter and joy. If we don't know what to cry over, then we need to look closer at the cross of Christ. We need to look and see and examine the sins that he died for. If we don't know what to cry over, we're not close enough to our neighbors. We are still buying the self-delusion, the, the fronts that we put up to one another. If we don't know what to cry over, we're probably not being honest with ourselves. <laughs> the effects of sin cut deep, deep. Broken homes, broken families, broken world. There, there is no cowboy up mentality in heaven. We are all broken here. We all need a savior. If we didn't need a savior, Jesus wouldn't have come, but we do. And now, if we can be honest enough to admit our shame, our, our, our brokenness, our, our humiliation, our sin, our struggles to one another, to confess them to one another, to confess them to God, and to sow those as tears into the Lord, we can reap a harvest of joy. And likewise, for those who don't have anything to laugh in, to find joy in, we need to look closer at the cross. <laughs> We need to see the blessings that have been lavished upon us in the gracious gift of Jesus Christ, in the power of the Spirit indwelling us. There is no orphan in the kingdom of heaven. There are only sons and daughters. There are only those who know what is to come and eternally have a righteousness and a joy given to them in the Spirit that we have access to. We need to learn to sing that song as well, to lift up praises to the Lord and not rob him of the joy he rightly deserves for the good gifts he has given us. Brothers and sisters, we need to hear the wisdom of Psalm 126 and learn how to sow in both tears and in joy. We need to let our prayers be watered with tears but be nourished by song. 
We need to let our interactions, both of laughter and of weakness, be witnesses to our neighbors and to our nation of the goodness of our God, of his provision to see us through to the day when he returns and makes all things new. So receive this blessing. Let, uh, let the blessing you live in be a witness of the power of your salvation and let the word be a witness to you daily of your blessedness. Go from here encouraged and filled with songs of both joy and of weeping. Amen, let it be so. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father God, we, we come to you, Lord, dependent upon you, weak, but joyful, because that is who you have made us in your spirit. You have filled us with the spirit of truth, not, not, the, not the power of, of fear and of timidity, but of confidence, of joy in you, of boldness to trust in you, even when the lies are loud, even when the enemy is oppressive, even when the world is dark, we can turn to you, we can depend upon you, we can love you, and we can receive your love because you have loved us, because you have restored our fortunes, Lord. For those who are walking through a dry season right now, I pray, Lord, that you would fill them full of laughter and joy you would allow them to weep. You would not rob them of the fullness of the human experience, that they would know your provision in all things, but that you would move them to see your graciousness, your goodness. Lord, for those of us who, who have up a, a facade, a screen, a, pre, a pretension, that we are all okay, we are all together, I pray, Lord, that you would gently, lovingly break us to receive your grace to receive your mercy, to draw near to you, and to receive the blessedness that you offer us when we sow our tears in you. And finally, Lord, I pray that you would move us to sow our tears and our laughter in you, to pray to you honestly and earnestly as you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you, Lord. So move us, Lord, to sow all of what you have given us into you. We pray this in the name of Jesus and the power of the Spirit. Amen. Would you stand and let's sing together.